And hello, old schoolers. Welcome to our first console first episode of the Old School Gamer. My name is Danny, and let's get right to it. Uh, today, I'm going to change it up a bit. Instead of a, a game or a, seri a series of games, we're going to talk about a console instead. A console that single-handedly brought the video games back from the brink of extinction. And there's no other, other console I can think of than the Nintendo Entertainment System, which I'm going to refer to as the NES at this point. I uh, know for the young people out there. So, uh, around 1983, uh, it was uh, there was what people like to call the video game crash. Uh, finally, coming off the heels of the golden age of gaming, which is a period between 1978 to 1982, uh, the golden age of gaming was basically the big rise of video games. Uh, arcades were booming. The birth of classic games such as Space Invaders, Donkey Kong, Asteroids, Pac-Man, all, all, all came around during this uh, period of time. Uh, not only were arcades, uh, were, were, arcades were full, uh, it, started, it started to ingrain itself into pop culture as well. Uh, cartoons, song, uh, video games were also a driving force for some movies like Tron, War Games, and Cloak and & Dagger. Uh, this also was the birth of the first home console system, the very first one being the Magnavox Odyssey back in 1972, and until the very popular Atari 2600 and the Vectrex. Uh, during this golden age of gaming, uh, it brought in about almost $3.2 billion in revenue, but then came problems. Uh, thanks to the popularity of the the Atari 2600, the market started to become flooding with other consoles, um, mainly the Odyssey 2, the Intellivision, and the ColecoVision, and Atari's rather poor follow-up to the 2600, the 5200. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, each of these consoles, they all had their own library of games. And then... Um, also, the uh, the ColecoVision also had an add-on adapter, which allowed you, which uh, allowed you to actually play the Atari Twenty Six Hundred games on the ColecoVision, which you know to in today's generation that would definitely not fly. So, not only the console, the console market just started getting flooding, and of course, also the number of games itself started to flood. Uh, Back then, there was really no such thing as a third-party developer, like so people like Kana the, the third-party publishers like Konami, Capcom, all those things. Uh, they never really existed back then. Uh, all the console makers uh, made their made their own games for their respective systems, uh, and often at times they get paid little to no money. Very little money. I, I can't really say no money, but they get paid very little money to and were un, under unbelievable uh, pressure to, to uh, produce uh, produce games. So, four Atari programmers uh, quit Atari after they wouldn't allow their pro uh, the programmers to put credits to their games, and uh, they also weren't be we're not getting any uh, sales based royalties. Uh, because these people, these programmers already had knowledge of Atari's VCS system and how to make cartridges, so they actually formed their own company called Activision. Atari quickly sued them, uh, but until 1982, they actually still had, they legally had free reign to, um, 
create games for the Atari 2600 uh, because back then there was no legal sen- there was no legal precedent back then. Eventually, they did settle with uh, Activision, so Activision would agree agreed to pay Atari royalties. But other than that, they were free to make games uh, for the Atari 2600 and basically giving birth to the the 3D de- uh, third party development m- model. Uh, their games were pretty popular, actually, and of course, their flagship game, Pitfall, selling over four million copies in its lifetime. Thanks to thanks to the birth of Activision, uh, other other uh, third party developers started coming. Coleco, Parker Brothers, yes, those the guys who make Monopoly actually were in the video game business as well. And of course, Mattel were some of the many marketers that were arose after after Activision. Uh, Problem was, a lot of these developers were basically hiring fresh out of the college programmers. They were good, but they didn't not, they didn't have the experience of programming a game. So that also developed uh, that led to the decline in quality and competition was also fierce. Whether uh, programs were basically trying to poach other programmers from the, from other uh, from other companies or. A lot of reverse engineering was going on as well. Atari themselves actually hired several programmers from Mattel's development studios, which, of course, prompted Mattel to sue them uh, for charges of industrial espionage. A flood of poor quality games uh, saturated the market. Uh, uh, as pro- most of you already know about uh, the Consumer Electronics or CES, uh, these were actually going on for quite a while, so... Um, and then in the 1983 edition of the CES, uh, about 100 companies uh, were present without, who were developing games, which was a big jump uh, for the year before. There was only about four of them. Uh, and all these, all, these, all these developers, they were basically throwing crap under the walls and whatever stuck was made. And if something was even not so, maybe I wouldn't say like, Huge successful, even anything huge successful, even something mildly successful. Other companies would just play, uh, would just clone the hell out of it. So, like, say you, for example, you you, you take Pac Man, and of course, once Pac Man became successful, uh, pretty much everybody decided to make clones of Pac Man, whatever uh, DOS versions or whatever. And of course, to avoid getting sued, they call it different names, like. I know one, um, if you remember the angry video game there, he did one episode where he talked about Taxman, which actually was a Pac-Man clone, which was one of those, um, which was one of those clones that, uh, that people made. And then, um, not only were the, uh, not only were they basically throwing crap at the wall, uh, they basically tried to make anything that remotely possible in the game, mainly, uh, because I also, of course, everyone probably remembers the Atari Kool-Aid uh, Man game. And then uh, Parina Dog Foods uh, chased the Chuck Wagon, which is probably one of the most infamous examples of, uh, of really bad quality games. So, between, like I said, between, uh, starting with 1983, the the crash of the, had a pretty much devastating effect for Atari. Uh Atari was banking on a lot of uh, uh, on some titles for to be hits. Uh, most most infamous uh, the, their port of Pac Man and uh, the movie the game adaptation of <laughs> E.T. the movie. Uh, 
Both games were really poorly received, especially E.T., although Pac-Man also got pretty got slammed pretty bad. And uh, because these things didn't sell well, it was, Atari was really stuck with hundreds of thousands of cartridges uh, in their inventory, and they can't move it. Not only that, and uh, not only just the cartridges, but systems as well. So uh, since they couldn't move anything and they can't, they couldn't sell anything. So they, so you probably heard of the infamous uh, burial of cartridges in, in a New Mexican landfill. Uh, uh, that landfill was actually ex- excavated in uh, two, uh, 2014, and then uh, they said uh, it. Uh, I think I think the, there was a documentary. I think it was called the fall of uh, the fall of Atari, something like that. I, I'm gonna I have to look that up later, but uh, but they basically uh, they had cameras rolling when they were actually doing the excavations, and about uh, about thirteen hundred cartridges were found th- during the excavation, though. Atari officials later confirmed about over 700,000 cartridges uh, were buried there. Uh, despite what some, what, what some people think, not all of it was the infamous E.T. game. Uh, there were also other games as well. Although there was E.T., there was a whole bunch of E.T. cartridges, but there was other games as well, so they couldn't uh, that they couldn't just uh, they couldn't sell. Stores either reduced their floor space or basically stopped selling altogether. And even the popular computer systems at the time, like the uh, the VIC-20, the Commodore 64, and the, the Sinclair ZX-81 uh, saw a decline in production as well. Arcades were also affected. Uh, about 1,500 arcades shut down during this time period, and those that still remained back then uh, basically uh, dropped uh, about 40% in revenues uh, across the board. And... People were people were angry, and video games basically became a filthy word. All was not lost, though, as in the in the midst of the crash, a savior was being born overseas. In 1982, Nintendo, uh, they were makers of games like Donkey Kong, Mario Brothers, and Popeye, already under its belt. Uh, they want they wanted to jump into the um, the home system consoles. Uh, it was actually started as a Actually, started life as a 16-bit home computer, but then, uh, but then President uh, Nintendo President Hiroshi Yamaguchi uh, didn't want to go for that, saying that a computer might be too intimidating for non-tech people. So they basically started from scratch and uh, and decided to. Um, they originally called the game. The system was originally called the GameCom, which uh, <laughs> basically uh, predates Tiger's GameCom. Tiger's Game.com thing for about a couple hundred, uh, about, ooh, when did that come out? At least 20 years. And then, um, but then it was actually called the, it was eventually called the Famicom, uh, combination and family computer after the wife of system developer Masayuki Yumera came up with the idea. Uh, funny enough, actually the, the, the 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 Famicom was actually used the the ColecoVision as as its standard instead of the the popular Atari twenty six hundred mainly um, because how the graphics looked back in then. Uh, if you ever played both ColecoVision and Atari, which I have, uh, a ColecoVision basically had really smooth, like non flickering graphics. While sometimes with the Atari twenty six hundred, there are times where um, you'll either see uh, flickering or slowdown in the game. Uh, 
something you didn't really see in the ColecoVision. So car cartridges were originally supposed to be the size of a regular cassette tape, but uh, they had to do the size of the games. They basically had to uh, make it larger. Uh, it's an interesting fact that the, the Nintendo basically built a Famicom from scratch because um, back in those days, uh, they used a programming language, uh, which back then uh, they didn't have the actual... They, they, as in Japan, didn't have the uh, the equipment to actually u to, to, that utilizes that uh, program. So, uh, uh, the controller, uh, the controllers, uh, they originally actually were supposed to be like uh, with a like an arcade style joystick, but uh, they 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 feared that one uh, kids might step on on the on on the joysticks, and two. Uh, and which was also a valid thing that uh, they were worried about the durability of joysticks, which was not and was not an uncommon thing for uh, the joysticks in arcades to to eventually wear down because they were they weren't really greatly made. So uh, so instead they took a uh, they took a uh, they took the idea from their own uh, Game and Watch uh, series of uh, games and basically the. Developed the D-pad that they have uh, that you see today, and the uh, the other funny thing is that the control at the time the the Famicom controllers were hardwired to the um, to the console itself for cost uh, to save cost. So the Famicom actually came out in 1983 uh, with three games: Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., and Popeye. Uh, the sales were not as great in the beginning because the, there was a bad chipset, but after a recall and a reissue, the Famicom became Japan's best-selling console in 1984. Uh, during this time, Nintendo uh, was also already looking towards the mark, uh, the U.S. To, to, for, their, for, for, the, for, the, for their system. In early 1983, Nintendo was already in discussion with Atari to release the Famicom in the U.S. as the Nintendo Advanced Video Game System. But at that year's CES show, Atari found out that Coleco was illegally demonstrating their Atom computer at that uh, um, yeah, the computer uh, add-on for the Coleco vision, and they were running a demo of uh, Donkey Kong, which violated Atari's license with Nintendo. So that slowed down negotiations, and then eventually, then CEO Ray Kassler of, of Atari was fired, and Nintendo was left holding the bag. So that turn of events basically led Nintendo to market the Famicom on its own. And, of course, due to the crash, most people were skeptical with one magazine actually calling a misstep on Nintendo's part. Uh, I did see actual pictures of the original uh, proposed uh, on the console, which would actually uh, look more like a computer, which was actually more like a computer than, uh, than a console. Which actually, and they were actually looking to use uh, wireless controller pads. Um, so uh, Nintendo, um, so Nintendo first showed off the redesigned case in 1985, which now had a front loader instead, where the the Famicom had a top loader, and uh, it started testing in uh, cities, uh, starting off in New York City in October of that year. And in February 1986, the NES made its official launch in the United States with 17 titles, 
such as Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, Ice Climbers, Kung Fu, and Hogan's Alley. Nintendo actually learned the, the mis- from the mistakes of the of the of the crash. So they made so they actually made a concentrated effort to market the NES as a new set item and just not another console. The product itself, the whole product itself, was called the Nintendo Entertainment System, with the console itself being called the Control Deck and the game cartridges as game packs. The box arts of the games very had, were very closely representations of what you actually saw in the games, so people really could see what they see on the on the box art is what they're gonna get pretty much what they're gonna get when they play the game. Um, the boxes also had uh, special symbols which clearly showed what kind of genre the games had, and and of course the uh, you probably know the infamous Rob accessory. Uh, so they basically wanted to make Nintendo wanted to make sure that people knew this was not this was a brand new product and not just some crazy another another crazy uh, video game console. Uh, the boxes uh, the boxes also had uh, a special uh, you probably already noticed now uh, seen it now it's called the, the basically the Nintendo gold seal the gold Nintendo seal of quality um, Nintendo also uh, learning from uh, the mistakes of uh, people of the uh, uh, people other people making games for the Atari or the 2600 the um so Nintendo instituted a lockout chip, which uh, which basically uh, this uh, uh, locks out anybody, uh, any um, anybody, anybody, any other unlicensed cartridges, and only allows cartridges that um, that Nintendo approved to, to to play on the system. Yes, I know people eventually found ways around that, but for the time at the time. Only, only, only approved, only approved Nintendo games were allowed to be played on the NES. Nintendo also uh, had a very strict policy regarding censorship in their games. Uh, since Nintendo was primarily marketed towards children at the time, uh, most profanity, sexual, religious, and political contents were se- were censored. Which, weirdly enough, uh, the Famicom had no real such restrictions. Uh, I can think of very famous examples like uh, Castlevania, the 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 cross and the holy water weapon, which called the boomerang and the firebomb, respectively. There is the port of um, uh, Maniac Mansion. They had uh, Nintendo basically told them, um, you, you have to tone down some of the some of the violence and the blood and stuff because the, because the actual the the I the actual the 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 original game was kind of darker, and also the uh, the game Bionic Commando uh, was actually based on uh, the original game was uh, had a lot of Nazi symmetry, um, and the game was actually based on you finding a, a reincarnation of Adolf Hitler. Um, in the game, in the U.S. version of the game, uh, a lot of the Nazi imagery was removed, and uh, they renamed the Hitler uh, as Master D. Although strangely enough, uh, the image of his head get blown at the end of the game when you when you kill him, you uh, 
his head basically explodes, and they actually kept that blood and all. <laughs> uh, the censorship policy pretty much remained until 1994 with the birth of the ESRB after Nintendo got a lot of crap for uh, for their version of uh, Mortal Kombat for the Super Nintendo, uh, which the Super Nintendo I'm gonna uh, that that'll be another uh, that'll probably be another podcast. I mean. The legacy of the NES, you, no matter what you think, no matter what you think of Nintendo these days, uh, the legacy that the NES has is just undeniable. A lot of people in the industry credit Nintendo as the savior of the video games after the crash of 1983, and also thanks to their strict third-party policy, this led to generally higher quality games for the system. Uh, Yes, there were some really bad games for the NES. Uh, that's another topic. <laughs> um, not just um, not just as an industry standard. Uh, many game series owe its life towards to the NES. Of course, Nintendo has its own series, such as Mario, Metroid, Legend of Zelda, and Kirby. But other series um, like Capcom's Mega Man, Contra's. Um, Konami's Contra and Castlevania Metal Gear, uh, Square's Final Fantasy, Enix's Dragon Quest, Trade West's Battletoads, they all found their footing on the NES. And and a lot of and still and still and a lot of them are still uh, going strong today. And it's not just video games, uh, you see a but you see plenty of NES themed items, but like phone cases, hats, other accessories, they're all being sold worldwide. I knew some I actually know somebody who has a who has a case that pretty much looks like um, the NES controller. And then uh, the NES had a pretty uh, had a pretty uh, had a pretty long life. Um I, I'm sorry I actually forgot to mention eventually um the uh, the NES basically got eventually got a remake uh, to sort of make it look more like the Super Nintendo at the time, which then uh, the so it basically had like a it became another top it eventually became a top loader and they had the uh, and they had a game patch similar to that of the of the SNES uh, that came out pretty late though uh, and uh, just um, just pretty much as a last ditch effort and. Uh, from 1986 to basically 1985, that was uh, 1985. That's when uh, Nintendo finally stopped creating the um, the uh, stopped creating the NES. So, as for my own memories, you know, I when did I, actually I did I I got my first NES back in the uh, I would I would say I want to say 80, yes Christmas '87. That's when I first got the NES. And uh, it was <laughs> it was really cool at the time. I mean, everybody uh, everybody was pretty much into Nintendo those days. And uh, uh, I, did I get? Yes, I got the I got the uh, I, of course I got Super Mar the Super Mario and the Duck Hunt uh, combination, and then. Uh, and that's pay, that's it's pretty much the 
I did play other systems, games and systems before that, but pretty much NES basically, uh, <coughs> basically gave me gave me my love for video games. I mean, all that time I spent basically on Super Mario, the Super Mario series, Castlevania, Mega Man, um, all 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 great memories and. And of course, other great memories such as um, first getting the uh, the NES Advantage, which is I which I actually do still have to this day. And uh, in case you probably remember, if you uh, those D pads, if you ever played, if you ever played on those D pads long enough, your thumbs really starts getting hurt. Uh, in the case where you call Nintendo thumbs, and uh, funny enough, uh, back then. Uh, if you don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they have any um, basketball fans out there. But if you remember the um, Sacramento Kings player Raymond Tisdale, uh, he actually was put on uh, the injured list because he had a case of Nintendo thumbs. He, his thumbs, his thumbs still hurt so bad that he couldn't, he couldn't really handle a ball well. So he, he had a short stint on the uh, on the disabled list. <laughs> and then. Uh, of course, people also jumped on the game, like most most famously, uh, Mike Tyson, and of course, when Mike Tyson's Punch Out coming out. So, hold on a second, I'll be right back. Sorry about that. Um, and it's also funny uh, if I remember uh, they had uh, they had there was a short clip of Mike Tyson. Actually, he never be back then. He never actually played Mike Tyson's Punch Out until when well, I think couple, just a couple of years ago. They actually had uh, they finally had Tyson play uh, Tyson's Punch Out with him first facing Mike Tyson himself, and of course that didn't really end too too well for him. So. Alright, that will be it for today. Uh hopefully uh I hope everybody enjoyed this. Like I said, Nintendo was probably the NES was probably everybody's uh, gateway to video games, so and of course every uh they eventually of course made a movie about it called uh The Wizard. <laughs> I actually didn't see that too much later, so I can't comment too much about it. Uh but anyway, so uh Again, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, again, I keep an eye out on both my Instagram and Facebook pages to see whatever comes up next. Uh, I'll, I'll probably most likely going back to a game uh, game series next week. Uh, so, but until then, again, keep an eye out. Thank you for listening, and keep it old school.